I now can sing since I've been redeemed. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. I faith in Christ, my Redeemer King. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. This is the voice of hope. Then roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock of ages. Roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock. We praise Thee, O God, our Redeemer, Creator, in grateful devotion our tribute we bring. We lay it before Thee, we kneel and adore Thee, we Bless thy holy name, glad praises we sing. We worship thee, God of our fathers, we bless thee. Through life, storm, and tempest, our guide hast thou been. When perils o'ertake, escape thou wilt make us and with thy help O Lord our battles we win with voices united our praises we offer to thee great Jehovah glad anthems we strong arm will guide us. Our God is beside us. To Thee, our great Redeemer, forever be praised. Thank you, men, for calling us to praise our God and Creator. And thank you so much for joining me here on The Voice of Hope. This program is produced by Heralds of Hope. We're an international media ministry sharing the good news of Jesus Christ around the world in English and 25 other languages. And I'm J. Mark Horst, your friend and Bible teacher. If you're tuning in for the first time, you should know that we recently began a new series of study in the Gospel of Mark. You've only missed a couple of episodes, and you can catch up quickly with them whenever you want by visiting our website, heraldsofhope.org. That's heraldsofhope.org. Our study today is the second part of my teaching from Mark chapter 1 and verses 9 to 15 that I titled, Preparing the Son of Man. I hope you can stay with me. And again, if you missed the first part of this teaching, just go to the website, heraldsofhope.org, and listen to it at your convenience. Right now, here's the choir to lead us in a song of prayer.
Thank you, choir. As I began my teaching last week, I said that this text shows us the important processes involved in preparing the Son of Man for his earthly ministry. And these processes are also an important part of our preparation for sharing the good news. On the previous program, we only had time to look at the first of these processes involved in preparing the Son of Man, and I called that process his approbation. I explained that the word approbation is similar in meaning to the word approval, but there is a difference. Approbation contains the idea of approval, but then it couples it with admiration, commendation, and praise. God's approbation of Jesus at his baptism by John is clearly seen in the statement, You are my Son, the Beloved. In you I am well pleased. So now we move from that first process of approbation to the next process in preparing the Son of Man. The next process then involved in preparing the Son of Man is his authentication. How do you decide if something is authentic? You test it, right? Back in the days when gold was used in coins, some people would actually bite the coin to see if it was genuine. They knew that gold is a fairly soft metal, and you could dent it with your teeth. They also might have wanted to see if the coin just had a thin coating of gold over it, or if it was gold the whole way through. Because just like today, there were imitations and there were counterfeits. So in this text, God was testing his son, Jesus. Did God think that Jesus wasn't genuine, or that there was some flaw in him? We know better than that. It was a testing of authentication. This testing would prove, or we could say confirm, the fact that Jesus was fully human. And so I believe what happened next in Jesus' preparation for ministry happened for your benefit and mine. So Jesus has this glorious experience of the Father and the Holy Spirit affirming and blessing him. But then immediately we read that the Holy Spirit, with an irresistible force, drives him out into the wilderness. Some Bible versions say the Holy Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness. But that lacks the strength of meaning in this word, and I believe driven is a much better translation. Because this same word, ekbalo, is used in the context of casting a net or even casting out demons. And this highlights for us right here at the beginning of his ministry a couple of patterns that we'll see all through Mark's gospel. First of all, Jesus was obedient to the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit meant that he was fully under the Spirit's control. And then in addition, the most exalted one is also the most humiliated one. He is the King of Kings, but then he's also the suffering servant. Even in his horrible death as a common criminal, the placard above him proclaimed him as what? King of the Jews. So try to imagine what a spiritual and emotional mountaintop experience Jesus had at his baptism. It reminds me of the ministry of Elijah on Mount Carmel. If you recall, he has this glorious manifestation of the power and the presence of God, bringing a revival when he calls down fire from heaven on the sacrifice. And then the very next scene shows him running for his life from the wicked Jezebel. And he ends up in a cave in a state of depression and self-pity. Maybe you've experienced some similar highs and lows in your walk with the Lord. So according to the text, Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit into the Judean wilderness. This was near to where John was baptizing. 
And so immediately after receiving the accolades of heaven in the presence of the crowds, he now faces the fierce assaults of Satan and hell alone. And you and I both know that being alone makes us much more vulnerable to temptation. Jesus was God in the flesh. So why did he need to be tempted? Hebrews 4, 14-16 give us the answer. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You know, Satan's temptation is always designed to rob us of God's best. That's what he tried to do with Jesus. And then, is there any significance of the wilderness being a place of temptation? In the Bible, the wilderness is a fearful place. It's a desolate place, a lonely place, a wild, untamed, dangerous place. It's associated with evil and with unbelief and with hostility. It represents for us a picture of judgment, a picture of mankind without God, and a picture of unbelief and Satan's kingdom. The scriptures, especially the Psalms, abound with word pictures that illustrate this truth. In Isaiah chapter 32, the prophet describes a time of judgment where the land of Israel is overtaken by thorns and briars, and he tells his readers that the land will stay that way until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. And after his lament over Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, Behold, your house is left to you desolate. Desolate is a different translation of eremos, wilderness. And so then Jesus was here in that untamed wilderness, enduring this time of temptation for 40 days. And again, time periods of 40 days are fairly numerous in the scripture. The reign of Noah's time lasted for 40 days. Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. And there are other 40-day events in Scripture, like Goliath taunting the armies of Israel, and Elijah, I already mentioned him, sulking in the cave after his tremendous victory at Mount Carmel. These 40-day periods of time in the Scripture are usually associated with testing and with trial, but eventually triumph. A specific time of testing in preparation for service is a consistent pattern that you and I will see again and again in the Scripture. And then Mark adds a detail that's not included by any of the other Gospel writers, that Jesus was with the wild beasts. That would have included jackals, leopards, and wild boars. Recently, I watched a video of a lynx taking down a white-tailed deer. You know, it was difficult to watch, but that's nature. And the poet Tennyson wrote that nature is red in tooth and claw. So wild beasts are dangerous, they're unpredictable, they're fierce, and they're cruel, much like human beings who are under the control of sin and Satan. But then Mark does omit the detail of Jesus fasting for 40 days. Some commentators believe that the record of the specific temptations in Matthew and Luke come at the end or near the end of that 40-day fast. They reached that conclusion because Jesus' physical body would have been in a state of extreme weakness by that time. 
And yet, Jesus successfully resisted all of Satan's temptations. And what was the point of those temptations? What was Satan trying to do? He attacked Jesus repeatedly on his role as the suffering servant. If you read them carefully, you'll notice he didn't tempt Jesus to give up his deity or his sovereign power. What he did was he tempted Jesus to use that power in selfish ways apart from the direction of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus had yielded to Satan, that would have undermined God's saving purposes. The success of Jesus' earthly ministry depended on his humiliation. And the Apostle Paul explains that concept so clearly for us in his letter to the Philippians in chapter 2. And then one ray of light shines into this wilderness experience. During this time of extreme testing, we read, The angels waited on Jesus and ministered to his needs. I want you to understand something. The temptation that Jesus experienced wasn't just one incident, one time. We may get that impression from the other Gospels. I believe he was being tempted again and again and again. But the angels were continually attending to him and meeting his needs. You know, I see in that a precious truth. God does not abandon us in our times of testing, even though it may feel to us like he has. Well, how does all of this relate to you and me and the times that we live in? You and I may not face testing or temptation at the same level that Jesus did, but temptation and testing is the experience of every genuine believer. Following times of spiritual highs, we need to have a heightened spiritual vigilance lest we crash to a spiritual low and succumb to temptation. Paul told the early disciples of Jesus in Iconium and Antioch that through much tribulation we must enter the kingdom of God. And then Peter cautioned his readers, don't be surprised by suffering as though it's something strange. Rather, you should expect it as part of your life in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews equates suffering as proof of our being God's sons and daughters. In other words, suffering authenticates who we are in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews further states that Jesus, even though he was the Son of God, learned obedience experientially through the things he suffered. And then there's something additional to this as well. Testing and temptation reveal who you and I really are. Extreme heat and pressure forms diamonds. Irritating grains of sand lead to the formation of pearls. Gold and silver in usable form must be refined in the fire. Likewise, untested faith is weak, and it may have little value. You know, as I look at my own life and experience, many of my temptations have to do with serving myself or serving others. This is right where Satan put pressure on Jesus. Use your position or your power or whatever to get what you want. Isn't that what Satan and the world keep telling you and me today? Get what you want. Pursue your goals. But Jesus didn't do that. He put your needs and my needs ahead of his needs and his wants. As his followers, you and I are called to do the same. We are called to put the needs of others ahead of our own. So how much of our effectiveness in witness and ministry is damaged by our own selfishness? Are you willing to get alone with God, the Father, and fast and pray? To what lengths are you willing to go to overcome Satan's temptation? 
Are you being overcome by the wild beasts of sinful desire in your spiritual wilderness? Remember, just like the angels ministered to Jesus in his time of testing and temptation, if you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit is present with you, and you have this specific promise. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So in this process of preparing the Son of Man, we have his approbation and his authentication, which leads us to the final process, his proclamation. Mark jumps immediately into a brief description of the beginning of Jesus' preaching ministry. The specific time that he mentions is after John's arrest. This was probably about six months after the previous verses. In the interim, the other gospel writers record Jesus cleansing the temple, ministering in Judea, and then offering new life to the woman at the well as he traveled through that despised region of Samaria. Mark ignores all of this to focus on Jesus' ministry back home in Galilee. There's a biblical principle here. Ministry starts at home, and then you branch out from there. Jesus went to his home region proclaiming the gospel of God. Now earlier, we looked extensively at the meaning of the word gospel as it was used and understood at the time Mark was writing, so we're not going to revisit that. But the fact that Jesus launched his ministry in Galilee seems to be a rebuke of the apostasy and the corruption that existed in the religious system that was centered in Jerusalem. So Jesus comes into Galilee and he's proclaiming a message with three distinct parts. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. This was, we could say, the hinge point of human history. Long centuries had passed since God promised Adam and Eve that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And then down through the succeeding generations, the prophets, one after another, slowly revealed more and more of God's plan for the coming Redeemer. Things like his birth in Bethlehem, his brief sojourn in Egypt, his childhood in Nazareth, his rejection by the Jewish leaders, and then finally, his ultimate death by crucifixion. All of those things were foretold by the prophets. Jesus then explained the saying, The time is fulfilled by adding, The kingdom of God is at hand. The time was fulfilled because the kingdom of God was at hand. It was present in Jesus. And the kingdom of God was at hand because Jesus, the king, had arrived. When Jesus came to earth as a man, he came to offer this long prophesied kingdom of God to the Jewish people. It seems he would have inaugurated the kingdom of God if they had only received him as their Messiah, but they rejected him and his kingdom. And so the kingdom was taken from them for a season and given to the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. And then the final part of Jesus' announcement of the kingdom was, repent and believe this good news, the gospel. The word repent is metanoeo. Meta means to change, and noeo means mind or perspective. To repent means changing the way you think. So Jesus' message included repentance, but he also added belief or faith in him. The words repent and believe are given as imperatives. They're given as a command. In the proclamation of the gospel message, 
repent and believe are not optional. They are mandatory. So the kind of faith Jesus is commanding isn't some nebulous intellectual assent to a theory. No, instead, it's a wholehearted embrace of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's a belief that will change you from the inside out. James informs us what genuine faith looks like. You believe that there is one God? You do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Today, you and I are called to proclaim this same message, this same good news. Repent and believe the gospel. Our message isn't popular because it leads to suffering and hardship. It often makes us appear to those around us like we're odd or we're out of touch with the culture. It calls us to place our own desires and wants in the background and take up the mantle of service to others. And the gospel assures us that only in learning how to die to self will we really learn to live. The processes for preparing the Son of Man for his earthly ministry were unique to him because he was and is the Son of God. But those processes are common to everyone who chooses to follow him. You and I need his approbation. We need his authentication. And we need to embrace and promote his proclamation. Have you been prepared to share the good news? Come ye sinners, poor and needy, bruised and broken by the fall. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pardoning love for all. He is able, He is able, He is willing, doubt no more. He is able, He is able, He is willing, doubt no more. Let not conscience make you sinners is surrenderful to him. He will save you, he will save you, tis the gospel's constant theme. He will save you, he will save you, tis the gospel's constant theme. Agonizing in the garden, lo, your Savior prostrate lies. On the bloody tree behold him, hear him cry before he dies. It is finished, it is finished, sinners will not this suffice. It is finished.
finished, it is finished. Sinners will not this suffice. Lo, the incarnate God ascended, pleads the merit of his blood. Venture on him, venture wholly, let no other trust intrude. None but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. None but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. I hope what I presented today has informed and encouraged you. If you'd like to review this teaching or share it with someone else, you can request a copy. It's available either in print or as a digital audio file. Just ask for it by its title, Preparing the Son of Man. The easiest way for you to contact us is to use our email address, hope at heraldsofhope.org. That's H-O-P-E at heraldsofhope.org. Or you may call us toll free at 866-960-0292. Or mail your request to the Voice of Hope, Box 3, Breezewood, Pennsylvania, 15533. And you can also review today's teaching or listen to archived programs by logging onto our website, heraldsofhope.org. To help this ministry financially here at year-end, you can send a check by mail or donate securely online at heraldsofhope.org with your credit or debit card. You can also call our toll-free number, 866-960-0292. God's grace, accompanied by your fervent prayers and your generous financial support, will enable the voice of hope to be on the air until Jesus comes in the air. Now don't forget to join me next week for the voice of hope as we continue our study in the Gospel of Mark. And until we meet again, rejoice! Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Savior reigns, let men their songs employ. While fields and flowers, rocks, hills and plains, repeat the sounding Love.